Good evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time. We appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. Usually on the political scene, everything gets hectic as we move closer to presidential elections. As is the custom, the various political candidates are now engaged in heavy advertising or campaigning regarding their records, purported accomplishments, or some alleged negative claims about their opponents. During these campaigns, the voter is left to weed out the truth and make informed decisions regarding who they will vote for in the many different races which are being contested. On this program, we can't tell you how to vote, but we do regularly and strongly encourage you to register, to vote, and to motivate others to do so. We will continue that advocacy, but we'll also seek to educate and advise you regarding the mechanics of voting and of efforts to ensure that your vote is protected. On this evening's discussion, we're going to talk about efforts to discourage people from utilizing mail-in voting, to challenge people during the early voting period, and the mechanics that are available to protect the casting of your vote. For this discussion, we welcome Professor Jarvis Hall, our on-campus expert from the NCCU Political Science Department, Attorney Tomas Lopez, Executive Director of Democracy North Carolina, and Attorney Jennifer Marsh, Staff Attorney for the Self-Help Credit Union and State Director of the Election Program Ethics. So first of all, our thanks to each of you for joining us for this uh, discussion and welcome to the Legal Legal Review. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Chris. This election has already been described as the most important one in history and potentially the most corrupt. What are, you, what are your reactions to these uh, claims that are being floated now out as a part of the uh, political narrative that we're dealing with. Jennifer, you can go on and start us off. Okay. Um, so it's very interesting that all of this is happening right as we lead up into the uh, election, into single digit numbers until the election. I think a lot of this is is uh, smoke and mirrors. We are hearing things that discourage people from uh, exercising their right to vote right at the critical time. And, and from my perspective, we need to have a trust in the electoral electoral system that we can uh, exercise our right to vote and, and kind of block out a lot of that noise that is going on right now. Yeah, I think it's a sad, uh, it's a sad state of affairs that we're in now uh, because when you look at what has been going on, especially the last four years, um, one could argue that our democracy is under attack in general. Um, and then when you look at uh, some of the rhetoric that we've heard around the vote itself, um, it um, deepens the uh, distrust 
that uh, the American people have of the democratic process. And of course, confidence in the process is so important to uh, the strength of our democracy. And uh, now people are beginning to question whether uh, the elections uh, that will take place um, up and down the ballot will be fair, whether it will be rigged, um, and whether they can trust the outcomes. And so that calls into question one of the basic pillars of, uh, of our democracy. I mean, one thing I would point at when we look at the atmosphere surrounding this year's election is that we've got a really, you know, sort of from a remove interesting, but from like a voter experience perspective, actually really troubling uh, convergence of both like rule and administration issues. So the fact that, you know, for for instance, uh, really increased demand in absentee by mail ballots is going to put a real burden on election officials and in turn on voters. And then these broader you know, more uh, systemic or even atmospheric uh, concerns about the rhetoric surrounding the election, confidence in the process, um, ways in which um, rules and norms come together. And that is, um, you know, I don't know that I want to call it a perfect storm, but dealing with that on multiple fronts means, you know, we know that the election uh, is a particularly heavy time and moment for a lot of people this year. And I think it's true both with respect to the way it's actually going to be run and the way it's going to be received and, and, and put forward in, in, the, in the nation at large. Well, it, well, it appears that there is, uh, I guess, an atmosphere of fear that is being uh, conjured up uh, around this election with claims that uh, Police officers, uh, U.S. attorneys, uh, federal marshals, and individual citizens will be uh, deputized or mobilized to go to uh, polling places all over uh, the country to check on the legitimacy of uh, people who show up to uh, to vote. Uh, does do claims like that tend to scare off? Uh, individuals uh, from voting, uh, particularly with this uh, coronavirus that we are dealing with, that the two of uh, those uh, factors might merge to depress uh, turnout uh, in, in, in the various polling places? Well, I think anything of that nature does uh, discourage people from voting, and it's amplified in the time of the coronavirus. So, at any point, we have threats of confrontation or anything of that nature at a polling place. That's problematic. At, at, the, at this point in time, when we have a, a worldwide pandemic, and then there's threats of that, that is just stacking on the concern and um, that any voter would have about going out in public and you know, how they might have to interact with individual. So yes, I mean, as Tomas said, this is almost a perfect storm and then layered on with um, plenty of actual real threats to person's bodies from, from disease and physical violence. Well, just, just how safe is voting by mail? I mean, it seems to be a logical choice for people to make make in light of the uh, the coronavirus that we are dealing with. And it seems a sensible response 
uh, by people uh, who want to vote and are concerned about uh, their health. So just how, uh, how, how reliable is this uh, mail by voting and is this something new? I'm happy to kind of walk through, you know, what we know about voting by mail, particularly in North Carolina and some things that people should be aware of. You know, the first is that voting by mail is, of course, not a new thing at all, whether in North Carolina or nationally. Uh, there are several states that where mail voting is the default, Washington, Oregon, some others. And there are others where mail voting, even if not the default, is very popular. But North Carolina is not one of those states. So even though we've had what we call absentee by mail voting here for some time, the it has not been the most popular form of voting by any kind of margin. So in 2016, in the general election, about 4% of North Carolina voters cast their ballots with absentee by mail ballots. Um, we, we know that uh, one of the challenges we face this year is an administrative one, because we could see as many as 30 or 40% of the electorate cast their ballots by mail. You know, as of late August, uh, there were over 300,000 absentee ballot requests, not ballots, but requests that had already been submitted to North Carolina election officials, right? That is dramatically, you know, outpacing rates from prior cycles. What voters should know is one, you know, the mail system, the, the vote by mail process is one that, that has worked for lots of voters. But there are some caveats. One is that uh, mail ballots in, in North Carolina and elsewhere are rejected at higher rates than in-person ballots. And what that speaks to is that it's very important that if you're going to cast an absentee by mail ballot this year, that you follow the directions closely, right? There's a particular place you have to sign it, both on the ballot and on the envelope that comes with the ballot. You're going to have to have a witness. The witness has to sign it. They've got to sign it in the right place. They've got to provide their address. So there are a number of steps in the process that you can make sure, first, that your ballot is working the way that it should. Second, it's also important to note that there's a lot of concern about the state of the Postal Service right now. Um, you know, we've seen congressional hearings about it. And there is a concern about the impact on people's ability to send and receive uh, their mail ballots. Um, that actually dovetails with the concern about the fact that election officials are having to deal with so many more ballots than they have in the past. What it all adds up to is that whatever way you're going to vote, and particularly if you're going to vote by an absentee by mail ballot, do it early. Obviously, you know, we can't, like I said, we can't tell people how to vote in either the Catholic, in either the methodological sense or in the sense of, you know, who to vote for. But if you know the method that you want to use and you know how you want to go about doing it, there's not much reason to wait. You know, the, the deadline, the formal deadline for requesting an absentee by mail ballot is a week before election day. If you want to cast a uh, if you want to cast a mail ballot in North Carolina this year, just given the volume that we're seeing, you know, we're recommending you do that well before. Ballot requests are already available and absentee ballots themselves start going out to voters in September. So if you know that that's what you want to do, there's not much reason to wait. Um, Tomas, so you were talking about the that uh, mail-in ballots, the absentee ballots are rejected at a higher rate. Can you talk about the process? So when someone mails in their absentee ballot, what is that process? And, and also, as you're explaining that, 
Um, can you talk about, uh, you know, if a ballot is rejected, someone decides to do this early uh, and their ballot is rejected, is there any notification to that voter so that they have an opportunity to cure? And, and the reason why I ask that question is we know that if people attempt to vote in person during that early voting period, they are able to discover if there's some problem and, and then they can cure that potentially. That's right. The first thing that people should know about casting an absentee by mail ballot is that they have to request it. So you can go online and download the form. I actually think by the time that this airs, there may be an active website where you can submit a form online, submit that request. That request will be routed to your county board of elections. And starting September 4th, they'll be mailing out ballots. Once you submit that request, you should get a ballot. Once you get that ballot, it's important to follow the directions that come with the ballot. If you have questions, uh, our organization, uh, in partnership with others, operates a voter assistance hotline, 888-R-VOTE. We're happy to answer questions that you may have about the process. Uh, you can also call your county board of elections. That can have, you know, that can have helpful information as well. Once you fill out the information on your ballot, you cast the ballot, you send it in. You have several ways that you can send it in. One is by mail. You can also submit it at an early voting location during your early voting period, um, and where you can submit it at your county board of elections office itself. Uh, the um, once your ballot is processed, what will happen is uh, about five weeks before election day, the county boards of elections will start holding meetings in order to start going through all these ballots they've received, and pursuant to a court order. Uh, there are certain kinds of errors where if you don't, um, if the voter hasn't, has an error on their ballot, that voter has to be offered an opportunity to correct the error, to cure the ballot uh, without filling out a new ballot. Um, we're actually still awaiting full details on what that looks like. Uh, so I, I, you know, I don't want to sort of comment further on what that looks like. I think what's important to know is that there's going to be a process in place by October when this is really happening. This is the Legal Eagle uh, Review, and uh, we're talking about uh, voting by mail, early voting, and protecting the, uh, the vote. Uh, our guests uh, for this uh, discussion are uh, Attorney Tomas Lopez, who is the Executive Director of Democracy uh, North Carolina, Attorney uh, Jennifer Marsh, who is staff attorney with the Self-Help Credit Union and is the uh, state director of our election protection uh, effort, along with our own campus expert, Professor Jarvis Hall from the NCCU Political Science uh, Department. We're going to take our break uh, right now. I want you to, uh, to stay with us as we continue this very important uh, discussion. So we'll be uh, right back. We're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us as we discuss a very important uh, matter, uh, particularly during this uh, voting season. Uh, we have uh, uh, issues with respect to uh, voting by mail, early voting, and protecting uh, the vote. So we have uh, brought together a panel of experts in this area to talk with you about uh, how uh, and why 
you should uh, vote and uh, help others around you uh, to vote. When we took our break, uh, we were talking about the, uh, the uh, voting by mail uh, process, its uses, and uh, how to uh, cure any issues or problems that you might encounter uh, with uh, the uh, concept of voting uh, by mail. And uh, Professor Hall, uh, who is uh, connected obviously with the uh, university and has a lot of contact uh, with students, uh, can uh, kind of, I guess, give us some uh, information about how this voting by mail will impact and uh, assist uh, the student populations to uh, be able to uh, to vote. Uh, Professor Hall. Well, in 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 general, um, this discussion is so critical to this election and maybe the subsequent elections. Uh, uh, just knowing the process and how things work and what an individual voter can do to make sure that um, their vote actually counts is, is so important uh, for this election. And uh, so all groups working on, on campus or in the community uh, have to um, be uh, overly diligent, I think, in terms of making sure that people they're concerned with actually know this information. In terms of students, it's, it's going to be um, very interesting, very challenging, uh, given uh, the uh, situation with COVID. Um, uh, what we are trying to do on campus is just, again, share the information so that students uh, can do as we're urging others to do, uh, plan their vote. Uh, uh, that campaign is sort of catching fire around the country. Uh, this whole notion of um, looking at the options, uh, the options that you have in terms of voting and making sure that you know exactly what you want to do uh, and when you're going to do it. And um, so it's important for organizations uh, like we have on campus, uh, the Civic Engagement Working Group, as well as others to, to make sure that people understand uh, that uh, uh, adoptions that they have and, and, and the steps that they have to take. People have to take some responsibility for uh, their roles as citizens. Well, let me ask the attorney Marsh because you, you, you're directing the uh, voter protection uh, hotline here in the state. I know Democracy uh, North Carolina is engaged in some monitoring uh, now as well. Uh, can you talk about uh, uh, the efforts to protect uh, the vote, both with respect to uh, voting by mail and uh, early voting uh, that, uh, that 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 you're engaged in, or that people should be aware of? Uh, as they uh, lead up into the uh, beginning of the uh, election process. Yes, so we have been running in conjunction with Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law since 2006, the Voter Protection Hotline here in North Carolina. And it's um, the number um, Tomas gave out earlier, 888-HOUR-VOTE. Um, and you can also call 866-HOUR-VOTE from anywhere in the country, 888 is for North Carolina. Um, this uh, hotline is there to assist anyone with voting. You can call before election day, you can call during early voting, you can call now, someone will take your call. And we can answer any questions about how to get your ballot, you know, when you can go vote early and those types of things. So 
one thing I really want everyone to remember is we always say November 3rd is election day, but in reality, November 3rd is the last opportunity you have to cast your vote. And when we're thinking about planning out for that, for that um, vote, and I always like to think of it as what are my options to get this done before the deadline? So if you're thinking about it, like when you turn in a term paper, or you're doing anything like that as a, a student, you don't have to send it in at 11.59 p.m. if it's due at midnight. <laughs> um, and that's why I think it's very important to take into consideration all your options to vote, like vote by mail. Um, as Tomas explained, there are lots of details about that and you have to follow the instructions, but you can vote as early as mid-September if you use vote by mail and you can have that done. And from that point on, you can check on the State Board of Elections website and make sure that your vote has been received and, and check its status. Um, then of course we have the early voting period uh, and that is a great opportunity as well because you can register to vote and cast your ballot at the same time. So if you haven't done the preparation to register to vote at your current address, you can do that in person and then cast your ballot and be done. The very last opportunity is obviously um, Tuesday, November 3rd. And I encourage everyone to vote prior to that because what we find on November 3rd is if you haven't registered, if you have your wrong address down, we can't cure any of those problems on that day. It, it's only going to work for someone who has registered to vote at their current address and goes to their appropriate precinct um, to vote. That's the only way we know. So you just have so many opportunities to engage, um, to, to exercise your right to vote prior to the actual election day that I fully recommend everyone to make a plan, as Jarvis mentioned, and, and execute that plan as early as possible. I personally have already requested my absentee ballot and they're gonna be mailed out starting September 4th. Assuming I get mine um, right after September 4th, I will have cast my ballot before mid-September and I won't have to worry about that anymore. So that's the type of thing we hope that everyone will take into consideration and, and exercise as early as possible so you don't lose that ability. So Jennifer, you mentioned the North Carolina State Board of Elections website and, and you were saying that folks um, can go there, check their status. Can you talk about what tools are available on that website? So you've mentioned the 888-R-VOTE, but if someone just wants to do a quick check to find out what's my status what are the what are the options available on that website so you can go to the state board of elections website and there is a voter lookup option and at that point you can put in your information find you and see your current registration so you can see where you're registered to vote you can see where you're supposed to go vote on election day um, you could see your voting history as well but there's a place where you can also look up what the ballot looks like so you know before you receive it so it's your sample ballot um, then below that um, when you go in there there's a, a place to check your absentee ballot status and you can look at that and if you've and I, I just want to say because it does get a little confusing if you vote early voting or if you vote absentee by mail they're both considered absentee status um, if you vote by mail It'll show you that and it'll say if it's accepted or not once the ballot's been received. 
if you vote in person during early voting, it will tell you you voted and say in person. So, you know, that is a place that, uh, a resource that you can use just to check on yourself. And if I'm being honest, you can look up your friends and your family and make sure they're registered to vote, make sure they're registered at the correct address and kind of encourage, use that information to encourage them to also make their plan and cast their ballot. Well, it makes sense to uh, check out your boo and your family members and others uh, to see if they are doing their uh, civic uh, duties. But let me raise this uh, with you, particularly in, in, in light of election uh, protection, for a person who is seeking to uh, vote by mail. And I know that a number of organizations have already sent out uh, request forms, uh, the uh, uh, for people who want to uh, uh, request a ballot by mail. So you don't even have to contact uh, uh, the uh, State Board of Elections uh, for that. Even there is one being circulated with Donald Trump's picture uh, on it in the, uh, in, in the face of his uh, denial uh, of that. But if a person gets stuck uh, while uh, uh, completing their ballot and they might be confused about what it is that they need to do. Can they get assistance from through the uh, voter election, the uh, election protection uh, process in completing uh, the ballot? But I know that you can't tell them how to vote, but can they get that kind of assistance? Of course. So if you run into any kind of problem in the process of obtaining or exercising your right to vote, you can call 188-OUR-VOTE and someone will walk you through the steps. As you said, no one will tell you how to vote, um, but they will walk you through what you need to do and assist you if there needs to be um, more information gathered or that type of thing to help you exercise that right to vote. So if you have questions about how to fill out your absentee ballot, if you have questions about where to go to cast your ballot in person, any of that, um, they can help. Also, another Another really important point I think that people need to know is you can request your absentee ballot and you do not have to use it. You can still go to the polls and vote during early voting or on election day. Just do not do both. So <laughs> you get your absentee ballot. You said, you know what? I don't feel this has too many instructions. This just has too much detail. I don't have a witness living here with me to use. I don't want to go around someone else. You just throw that in the trash can. You can go and vote. So if you have questions such as that, call the hotline and people can help you um, walk you through that, answer your questions and make sure that uh, you are doing whatever you need to exercise your right to vote. And that was actually going to be my, my next question to you. If you if you request an absentee ballot do you, and you change your mind and you say, I want to, to vote um, in person. Um, and so what is the, the timeline again in terms of when's the last day that you can mail that um, absentee ballot? It, uh, it has to be received by election day. Tomas, do you have the exact? That's right. The so this is where this is where I, I want to make sure folks don't get too sort of caught up in this because what we really want to say to people is do it early, <laughs> but what they, they don't don't wait till the deadline. But um, you to request the absentee ballot, right? Your last date that you can request the absentee ballot is a week before election day. So I believe that's the 27th of October this year. That's correct. And it's 5 p.m. on October 27th. Yeah. And then in terms of some, in submitting your ballot itself, 
you've got either until 5 p.m. on election day if it's not postmarked. And if it is postmarked, they will, if it's received within three days of 5 p.m. on election day, it will be counted. How do you know if, uh, if there's a postmark? I mean, that is, that is, I think Jennifer may have some thoughts on, on, on this. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. You could go to the post office and make sure you walk up to a person and make sure that you get a postmark, but that kind of defeats the whole purpose of not interacting with people. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the questions, one of the things that your question, you know, I think reveals here is there are elements of this process that um, we're going to have to work through that are not necessarily ideal and they're being put forward in what is about as a not ideal process as we is context as we could have, you know, with the public health crisis, with uh, the state of state of the, the current mail system. Um, but all the more reason why one do it early Two, you have questions call 888 our vote. I mean, honestly, I would tell anyone to make sure they have that ballot postmarked by around October 19th. That fact is at that, that gives you two weeks to get where it needs to get. The fact is on October 15th, early voting starts. So if you get to that point, maybe you feel more secure dropping off in person at an early voting site or your board of elections, or just going into an early voting site and voting. But if you're getting that late, please, um, if you have a plan, go to your plan B. <laughs> um, what, I really want to see people using the absentee voting system as early as possible. Just the later we wait, the more uh, trouble it invites. And this goes to your point, Jennifer, about being able to go to the State Board of Elections website and being able to see that status. So if you vote as early as possible, if you're going to use the vote by mail, the absentee, then you can also check and see and if there is a problem, you still have time to cure. Whereas the closer you come to the that election, you know, the actual um, election date, then you just don't have that opportunity to make sure that the vote that you casted um, actually does, in fact, count and matter and that's the whole point of being able to exercise your right to vote is that it it does in fact count and and other citizens have to take responsibility in this voting and what i mean by that is we are encouraging our students to uh to be both uh poll workers as well as poll watchers uh to make sure that uh votes do count and especially in our communities and so again this is this is a community effort this is a village trying to make sure that um, our democracy works correctly. Well, you know, since you mentioned this notion of poll watchers uh, and poll workers, uh, with respect to early voting, should people be concerned about uh, individuals not connected with the uh, Board of uh, Elections challenging their, uh, their right to vote or their uh, legitimacy in going to the uh, polling site? You know, I, I'm happy to start on, on that question. We've seen in prior elections that there have been situations where uh, there are people whose eligibility is challenged at, at the polls. Um, you know, I would, um, if you are in that situation, right, that is, that is a, it is a, it is a good, it is a, a good idea, you know, after the fact, once you've done everything with this paperwork to call the hotline, to call 888-OUR-VOTE, to get walked through the particulars of what that process involves. 
What I would urge people, though, not to do is to stay away from the polls out of concern about this phenomenon. Um, you know, I think we could see that. I would say more broadly, I think, you know, we're concerned about the broader atmosphere around the election outside of the legal challenge process, right? I think we're concerned about uh, informal ways of intimidating voters, in particular, outside of the polling place. Uh, and we want to make sure that people feel safe and secure when they go to cast their ballot. Yeah, nobody wants a confrontation at the uh, uh, at polling sites around the state and around the country, you know, but at the same time, the, the, the vote is, uh, is sacrosanct uh, with, with regard to our democracy. And uh, I have a feeling in some places it may, it, it, but the fact that there may be some concerted effort toward intimidating voters, that it may uh, actually be a means of mobilizing more voters. You know, you know, this is another effort to take the vote away, to suppress the vote. And so let's go out there and really show them. And uh, but at the same time, avoiding and minimizing uh, the possibility of any confrontation. But uh, along with that, being aggressive and trying to exercise your right and privilege and obligation as a voter. It's another reason to go and check your voter status online before you go. Um, you, you will know whether or not this is a valid challenge and you will feel more confident in addressing that. But it is not uh, a common occurrence, shall we say. So I, I would really encourage people not to be fearful of going to the polls to exercise the right to vote out of fear of that. With respect to the authority, though, to challenge a person's right to vote, who is that uh, uh, resident uh, with? Who has that uh, ability uh, to actually uh, challenge whether the person is legitimately registered? And then, Tomas, if you want to speak yeah, to that. I mean, so, so what will happen in this situation is there are really a couple of categories of this, right? There's, there's a practice that what happens for, and, and we remain you know, sort of concerned about this in every election, right? There is a practice where um, uh, people are sent mail and the mail that's not, uh, and the mail that gets returned is used as a basis for challenging registration outside of the polling place, right? During, you know, well before voting happens. But then there is also a process by which, you know, you go to the polling place and there are appointed poll observers these are people appointed by local political parties uh, that can uh, in the process of voting challenge an individual's registration so if you are in that role and you meet the qualifications for that role that's typically where challenges come from this is the uh, legal legal review and uh, we're talking about uh, voting by mail early voting and the uh, protection of your right uh, to uh, to vote we're going to take our break uh, right now and uh, continue uh, this uh, very important discussion uh, as soon as we get back. So we'll uh, take our break. I'm Nastasha Harris a third-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Virtual Justice Spotlight. We have the freedom to engage in issues we care about, 
to build power in our communities and create real change. Through engagement, we choose our leaders and remove those leaders who don't represent our values. Our right to vote gives us that power. The 15th Amendment of the United States Constitution, as well as the Voting Rights Act of 1965, prohibits discrimination in voting based on an individual's race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Though there are federal voting laws and regulations in place, voting policies are primarily made and enforced at the state level. The current North Carolina political system has remained unfair to black and brown voters because it does not allow them to have a voice in their state government. Furthermore, the public health crisis we face today has endangered our democracy by threatening massive disruptions in election administration and facilitation, by limiting new voter registrations and safe environments for in-person voting. Despite these many challenges, all states must abide by the 15th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act. To register to vote in North Carolina, a prospective voter must be a citizen of the United States, at least 18 years of age, must have lived in the county of his or her registration for at least 30 days prior to the date of the election, and must not be serving a sentence for a felony conviction. Your vote is your voice. Let it be heard. More information is at democracync.org. Virtual Justice at the NCCU School of Law is the intersection of technology and the legal clinical program. I'm Nastasha Harris. Thanks for listening. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking about the upcoming election and options that voters have when casting a ballot. And we have with us here in our Zoom studio, Professor Jarvis Hall, who is an NCCU political science professor, attorney Tomas Lopez, who is the executive director of Democracy North Carolina, and Jennifer Marsh, who is the staff attorney for the Self-Help Credit Union and also the state director for election protection. And we've been talking about the advantages of voting by mail. Uh, one, you can uh, do it early. You can. You don't have to worry about dealing with the crowds. Um, Jennifer mentioned that she's already requested her absentee ballot, and anyone can do that. And even if they change their mind and they decide they want to vote in person during the early voting period or on election day, uh, people can do that as well. Uh, Tomas, early in the program, you were talking about uh, understanding that voting by mail, those ballots are rejected at a higher rate. So there is a downside for uh, individuals voting by mail. Can you just talk about considerations that voters should think about when deciding their options or deciding how to exercise their right to vote? Voters are going to have to make an individual choice about how they want to cast their ballot, and they've got several viable options available to them. Um, you know, the, the great value of our early voting in North Carolina, which runs from October 15th to the 31st, is that you can go to any early voting location in your county, and you're able to register on site, which means that even if you're previously registered, but you've moved, you've been taken off the rolls, you can go ahead and you can get that corrected at the early voting location, or if you're a new voter, you can go ahead and register at that, at that site. At the same time, um, we know that there are voters with health concerns 
that maybe in places that have particularly high uh, coronavirus spread that may not feel comfortable voting in person. And we think that the, you know, having the absentee by mail ballot is really important, you know, particularly for voters who don't want to deal with in-person voting or have those particular concerns. And so we want to make sure that folks are able to navigate all those different processes that are available to them. And of course, election day is available. Again, we do recommend if you're voting in person, strongly recommend early voting because of the backup that the same day registration process allows for. And then if you're going to vote by mail, doing, you know, requesting and, and sending in your ballot earlier rather than later, we think is going to be a, a, a more secure thing to do uh, in light of both uh, the mail system, but also the administrative, uh, you know, the administrative load that our election officials are going to have to carry this fall. Let me uh, just uh, raise with you uh, the uh, voting by mail identification uh, issue. Uh, there is no voter ID that is uh, required in order to, uh, to vote. Uh, but there are uh, signature responsibilities associated with the uh, voting uh, by mail uh, that every person who votes uh, will have to uh, have a witness. Uh, can you talk about uh, that uh, requirement and how uh, and who are the people who can serve as witnesses uh, for uh, individuals who vote by mail? I'm happy to I'm happy to dive into that. And I think that the what people should know is you are going to need one witness. Normally in North Carolina, you need two. This year, because of changes in the law, for this year you will need one witness to be able to sign your ballot. That person, um, you know, for the most part, it's gotta be somebody who is uh, eligible to vote, um, but, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a near relative. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a spouse or a relative of some kind. It often is, uh, you know, if you live with somebody uh, you know, that often is somebody who can make for a good witness. Uh, there are some small exceptions in the law, right? For instance, if you're, a, you know, if you're a candidate for office, uh, you can't necessarily be that, <laughs> be, be a witness. But in the great majority of circumstances, uh, you know, most people will be able to do the job. And I just want to add, I believe it's a person over 18. I don't know if they have to be registered. I don't think they have to be registered. That's right. Yeah. They just have to be over 18. There's some other... Uh, technical rules if you're a resident of a hospital, a nursing home, that type of thing. But for the average person, um, just not somebody who's on the ballot <laughs> and someone who's over 18. Now, for new voters who are going to register during the early voting period, uh, because if you're doing uh, mail, uh, mail in uh, voting, you have to be registered. But for new voters who aren't uh, registered, uh, what information do they have to have with them during the uh, early voting uh, process in order to get uh, registered? Of course, we know that if you are registered, you don't have to bring any kind of identification. But if you are registering for the first time during the early voting uh, period, there are things that you have to uh, produce. That's right. If, if, you are, if you are registering for the first time in your early voting period, you have to bring some kind of identifying document. Um, that does not have to be a photo ID though. You know, that can be, that, I think Jennifer may have some additional. Uh, um, so it's a, a much broader 
set of documents that you can bring. I believe you can bring even like a, a utility bill that has your name on it at the address you live on. But you do have to bring something that proves that shows both your name and your address, even if it's not a state issued photo ID. So uh, well, that could be time. any kind of documentation uh, that uh, attaches you to a particular location that you uh, put on the uh, ballot or the registration form in order to become uh, registered, but you don't have to have the, uh, the picture. And some people get to early voting who are new voters and don't realize that you have to have some type of uh, information to connect you to that, uh, to that address. And uh, so this is gonna make it uh, more uh, expedient. What, what are some of the concerns for early voting? uh both jennifer and and, and, and tomas that uh that you can think of because you've been doing this election protection uh now for over uh 14 15 years uh so what are some of the things that uh that people have to be concerned about uh if they are utilizing the early voting period so in general early voting is one of the smoother processes um, there's just a lot less to be concerned about during that period because you can't update your information you know and you walk in you don't have it you can leave and come back um, so in general uh, it, it's the least fraught opportunity but uh, i mean concerns are as you just mentioned actually bringing some sort of documentation if you're not registered i guess today a concern would be lines um, if you wait until that last Saturday of early voting, it might be very, very crowded. Uh, people, I believe we saw that back in March, that people just came out that last Saturday in droves, and then you were waiting quite a long time to vote. Let me just tell you, if you go that first three days of early voting, you may be the only person there. And so, you know, I would recommend using all the days of early voting and the early ones the most uh that's probably going to be your best bet but yeah the a downside could be you could end up waiting longer on one of those last few days of early voting than you would on election day to vote but otherwise it's a really really wonderful opportunity um, because you can register you can update your address you can go anywhere in your county so there's the thing you need to go to your county if you are registered to vote in durham and your school got shut down and you have to move back to your home in forsyth county you you are now no longer registered to vote um, in the county in which you are currently residing so you need to update uh, that so those are the the things that uh, to think about during that period and i would say for college students right now utilizing early voting is probably the best bet because you may have been moving around quite a bit over uh, the past few years and your address may not be up to date if you're not registered at your parents' home. You know, one thing that Irv mentioned uh, or emphasized is that in using, you know, absentee mail-in, you have to first be registered. And so when individuals are requesting a mail-in ballot, if they are not registered, will they get some information saying you're not entitled to an absentee ballot? What does that process uh how does that process work if someone requests but they are not registered? And then can you both talk about how someone would register if they don't want to do it during that early voting time period? The, one of the best things that people can do to avoid that situation in the first place is check their registration because people move, there are list maintenance actions that are happening. Um, check your registration. You can go 
Jennifer described it earlier on in the show, go on the State Board of Elections website, look yourself up, make sure you're still registered, and then you don't have to deal with you know, getting some notice that, hey, you're not on the list. Um, the methods that are available to people are, you know, one is you can download and send in a form. And now in North Carolina, if you have a DMV ID, so that's not everyone, but it's a lot of people. If you have a DMV ID, you can register or update your registration online. And you can go to the State Board of Elections website, ncspe.gov for that. And so you can go and there are lots of people that are using that, that system now, which, you know, I think there can be even more that are, that, that use it, but that is available to you. It is obviously contactless uh, and you can go and you can do it right now. Yeah. Because we do find a lot of people don't have printers, um, but they have an internet connection. So that's the downside. But I, I believe the state board of elections redirects you to the DMV website to complete that process. I think we ought to encourage uh, churches, civic groups, community groups, sororities, and fraternities to uh, take some time out of uh, their schedule to bring their membership together and talk about the voting process. Uh, do uh, some mock uh, training uh, so that people will have some familiarity with uh, what is going on, particularly if they are using something for the first time. And I know for uh, most uh, African-Americans and uh, people of color that uh, the preference has always been to uh, vote in person. And uh, that, that is the ideal situation, uh, but we are in a uh, uh, emergency uh, situation for many people now. There are health uh, concerns that uh, that you have, uh, and a way to get past that obviously is early voting. But it puts a lot of weight on us outside to help people to understand how to navigate through uh, this process, so that they will uh, they can help their neighbors and they can help their family members uh, to ensure that the uh, vote is properly. Cast so we don't end up with what uh, Tomas uh, mentioned uh, earlier with this high rejection rate because of some error uh, in uh, handling the ballots uh, that uh, that we are seeking to uh, to cast. So I uh, just want to make uh, that uh, comment uh, for those of you who are out in our audience and are concerned about the uh, possibility of the uh, vote uh, being uh, rigged uh, or uh, some shenanigans uh, taking place at the uh, polling site. And if uh, you have any questions, then um, uh, election protection is available uh, for people. Last point I do want to make, though, is uh, poll watchers. Uh, there is a need uh, for volunteers to serve as poll watchers to help with the uh, election protection uh, process and to give assistance to people at the polls. So uh, Jennifer and Tomas, do you wanna kind of talk with, uh, about the how to get in contact with, uh, with you uh, for people who want to uh, serve as uh, volunteers either during early voting or on election day? Sure, I'm happy to start with that and, and just say you can visit uh, Democracy North Carolina's website, democracync.org for information about how to become uh, a, what we call a vote protector, to station yourself outside of a polling site um, and help voters and help refer people to the hotline as well, the 888 vote hotline. I'll also 
put in a flag uh, for um, becoming a poll worker. We know we are facing the possibility of uh, uh, staffing shortages in lots of jurisdictions this fall. And uh, if you feel, if you can make the time, if you feel like you can be inside uh, all day for it, uh, you know, worth your consideration for trying to become a poll worker this fall as well. And, and I'll also add there are opportunities for I, what I'm going to call a junior poll worker. So 16 and 17 year olds to work there as well. I believe each precinct has two of those. Those are paid positions. So if you have a 16 or 17 year old who is you know, civically minded, wants to help, they can apply to be a poll worker for the state as well and uh, be there and you know, learn a lot about the process. Uh, additionally, I just want to add, uh, we this would be going to Democracy NC's website as well. So in addition to the poll monitors that Tomas talked about, we have the hotline. And if you're a lawyer or a law student who's interested in engaging, you can volunteer um, hopefully soon and be trained to answer people's questions on the hotline, which will be open and running from September 8th. Like it's open now, but it'll be being manned by many more people from September 8th until November 3rd. So we have tons of opportunities for people to volunteer there, man the phones and help people cast their ballots. So if, if you have that uh, expertise of being a lawyer or a law student, you can be part of that process. And I think one of the wonderful things about um, your organizations is that it, it also provides great training. And so you, you don't have to be worried that you're going to be, you know, thrust out there without, you know, some training that's been provided for you. So can you talk about the training that the volunteers receive? I can talk about it for people who are answering the phones. We have um, online trainings, obviously, <laughs> um, the, at this point. And yes, you have to go through the process. And then uh, there's at least, I believe it's a two-hour it's training to learn how to use this, to learn about the law. And then there's an additional two-hour training to learn how to use this system because we are completely virtual. And so you have to get up to speed on how that is going to work. Then there's just plenty of resources to assist you in executing that job once you are doing it. We have uh, what we call captains who can jump in onto your call and help you answer questions. There are resource, uh, written resources that are part of our system uh, for people to access during that process. And then Tomas, I'm sure you can talk about the poll watchers. And the That's trainer. right. The, 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 uh, our vote protector trainings will be going on from mid-September into October. We're going to be, we've got over 20 that are scheduled. They are all contactless. They're all over uh, video webinar. Um, and you will, uh, they are an hour, hour and a half long. We go into some depth about, you know, what you need to know about assisting folks, the things you can do, things you cannot do. That's something that we take pretty seriously, especially for folks that are, that are out there interacting with people. Um, but it is uh, a, it, we like to think it's a thorough training. And obviously over the course of, of having done this for several cycles, you know, we've, you know, there are certain things we know that are important to convey. All right. Well, thank you, um, all three of you. We are unfortunately out of time, but we'd like to thank Jennifer Marsh, who is a staff attorney for the Self-Help 
Credit Union and also the State Director for Election Protection, Tomas Lopez, Executive Director of Democracy NC, and Professor Jarvis Hall, who is with the NCCU Political Science Department. And as always, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any comments or questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleagoreview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy and safe.